0: Star Wars 7 by Summit episode 2328. Happy Life Day to you. For the 40th anniversary occasion of the Star Wars Holiday Special back in 2018, I was thrilled to interview Bruce Valanche, one of the writers on the Holiday Special, and today I am resurfacing that interview for you here. Part 1 of 2. Punch it! I am very excited to be sharing the next couple of days here with you because our guest on the show is none other than Bruce Valanche, a six-time Emmy award-winning writer, a playwright, comedy writer, songwriter, was the head writer for 15 years for the Oscar telecasts and 25 years overall. And in the beginning of his career, he was working on a variety of variety shows. And of course, one of those was the ill-fated Star Wars Holiday Special. And that's what we're going to be talking about on this portion of the interview. I was interviewing him from my little retreat in Maine, and the audio conference line did not necessarily hold up as well as I would have hoped, so my apologies that we are not getting utterly crystal clear sound for this particular interview, but I don't think it will cause you any difficulty in hearing everything that Bruce Falange has to say about his early experiences with Star Wars and getting into the Star Wars Holiday Special. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs>
1: I have Bruce Falancho on the line. Bruce, thank you so much for joining me on the show. How are you today? I'm
2: delightful. I'm luscious. I'm all of those things.
1: <laughs> I have and I have no sell-by date, so take
2: advantage of me now.
1: <laughs> oh, believe me, I plan to. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about the, you know, a lot of different things, but we're going to mostly limit it to the Star Wars Holiday Special. And... Uh, Let's just start with this. First of all, had you seen Star Wars before you worked on the holiday special? Like, what was your, you know, opinion of it at the time? Oh, yeah.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it was huge, you know, I mean, it was a blockbuster. I'd seen it actually uh, at a screening at the Writers Guild in Hollywood. Um, it was, actually, it was so long ago, it was the old Writers Guild Theater, and I remember it was packed because there was there was word on the street that this was going to be big. Although, I don't think they really thought it was going to be as big as it was, but they thought it was going to be like a, a summer picture that everybody had to see, and especially the younger generation. And, you know, Hollywood is always about finding out what, what the youth want, it, I mean, it it has been since the studio system broke up because young people go to the movies. So uh, we all flocked to see the thing, and uh, it was fun. It was like, uh, I remember thinking it was kind of like um, when I was a kid, there was a tail end of uh, of the tradition of going to the movies on Saturday. Saturday matinee was kids' matinee. And there was always some uh, – uh, uh, an Abbott and Costello picture or some kind of – Martin and Lewis, something like that. And there were a lot of things that accompanied it. And one of them was the uh, the Republic serials. And they were um, – they were stories that, that they were serials. I mean, you went back every Saturday to catch up. Every episode was a cliffhanger and there were a lot of them were spacey. There was, there was Buck Rogers in the 21st century and, and, and Captain video and things like that. And star Wars reminded me a lot of those. There were, um, Indiana Jones was actually taken from one of those things. It was totally inspired by the Republic series. So I thought this was like a Republic serial blown up to Cinemascope and special effects and all that. And it had all of those weird characters and and everybody spouting aphorisms. And uh, uh, so it was very enjoyable. And then I went, I got, it was over, and I went outside, and there were all these people milling on the sidewalk, <laughs> and they, I looked, I was young, and they were grabbing me going, what was that? What did we just see? <laughs> they couldn't figure out why there was buzz on this movie, because to them, it was kind of like some, some kind of, of crap, but in technicolor, and then, of course, it opened, and it became a cult thing immediately, but, but in a way that, that. Nothing had been cult before. I mean, it was mobs of people lined up to see it, and uh, in costume already. And uh, it, it was it was a, a genuine phenomenon. It wasn't the first blockbuster. I mean, Jaws was like the first kind of blockbuster that was that, that opened in a lot of theaters, and you couldn't escape. I mean, this was, a, this was in that tradition, if there was a tradition already. But so I remember thinking, well, this is a lot of fun, and who knows what's going to happen with it. And then, of course, um, uh, it wound up becoming a franchise. But I got involved in it in between those two. I mean, the second movie, Empire Strikes Back, was in the works and was shot and done, and uh, the holiday special happened as a kind of uh, I want stopgap is the wrong word, but it was kind of like a fuel injection <laughs> for the franchise mm-hmm. for the for the year off between the movies, and um, uh, or two years off, however long it was before they got the Empire out there, and it was it was designed to keep interest in the franchise because it, it hadn't really established itself as a franchise yet. There's only been one movie.
1: So were you then surprised, you know, your agent calls you up and says, hey, you're doing a great job with the Bette Midler stuff and the Donnie <laughs> and Marie show, and I got something new for you. Work on a Star Wars holiday special. Like,
3: you know, yeah, it, I,
1: wasn't I wasn't surprised.
2: I wasn't surprised because I was doing a lot of variety, and variety was all over the place. I mean, they were you, you never knew exactly what kind of thing you were going to be doing. And this, this one was considered off the wall. Nobody knew exactly what it was. And I was considered off the wall. Nobody knew exactly <laughs> what I was. What? They weren't exact. well, I knew certain things that I was. But they, they. whenever, the, when I got out to uh, Hollywood in 1975, I had come with the Manhattan Transfer, which was an unusual act. And we did a, a summer variety series. And then I was writing for all kinds of very hip types and so whenever anybody was doing anything unusual in the variety area i would i would get called in frequently so uh, it wasn't it didn't surprise me because uh, it surprised me that they were actually doing this show because my initial reaction was how are they going to marry <laughs> star wars to variety television i mean and i, I assume because they said look george lucas has this idea I thought, okay, if George Lucas has an idea, then he knows what it's going to be, so and it will be interesting. <laughs> God knows right. it was.
1: Well, yeah, uh, like the Chinese curse, I guess, about living an in interesting time. <laughs> um,
2: well, you so know, he, you- he, I think he he didn't realize what he was getting into. I think that he he sold it and he he looked at it. I I believe initially purely from the commercial side of things, about this will keep the characters going and this will keep the fans happy. And I don't think he ever realized exactly what the network was going to require for the show. And I think that's probably because he didn't watch a lot of television, is my guess.
3: Mm-hmm. I don't know that.
2: But I would just think if he... If he had uh, was schooled in what was going on, he he would have seen all of the uh, warning signs. <laughs> but that wasn't his world. Yeah, you know, that truly wasn't his world. He was he was a film guy, and uh, and the Star Wars references were filmic references, as a, like the Republic serials and the science fiction things that he had seen in movies, as, as, as in theaters. You know, they were not. You didn't you didn't really see them on television much uh I'm, because i'm sure that you know guys like george didn't want to watch them on tv because they were they were cut up and they were commercials and you know violating all the principles of, of, of the auteur theory
1: right and even when he was growing up you know television was probably later in coming comparatively speaking yeah i mean he's
2: older than i am so uh, yes <laughs> short answer <laughs> yes
1: so were you in on it from the beginning? I mean, I know that um, Pat Proft and Leonard Rips, I believe it is, um, were had been working on Shields and Yarnell, the mime thing. So I figured that they must have been in on it comparatively from the beginning. Yeah, I
2: think we all were. We all came out. in, Rod Warren and, and Lenny and Pat. I think we all came in at the, at the beginning. Um, I, I think that uh, uh, later on, when it became clear that there were going to be original musical numbers, Ken and Mitzi Welch were brought in, and they had a production company with Joe Layton, who was a great friend of mine, a Broadway director, choreographer, and I worked on several things with uh, a Bet a big Bet Midler show on Broadway with him, and he came in at that point. I think George had kind of uh, uh, left because uh, he had um, he brought a director down, David Akumba from Toronto. Who he was very fond of, and uh, he was a, a film director, and uh, and there was a, it, it it didn't work out. <laughs> it did work out, and he was replaced by Steve Binder, who was a big variety show director. And I think at that point George just kind of backed away from it because he realized mm-hmm. that uh, it wasn't what he what he had envisioned it as being, and the, the disowning began. <laughs> And there was no stopping the train at that point. I gather. Well, no, the, but you have to remember that even when, even after it aired forty years ago, a thing like that would just disappear. Mm-hmm. There would be no reason to rerun it, and uh, once it had gone through the initial airing and you know and suffered the slings and arrows, it, it would just never be seen again. And then this thing called the internet happened. <laughs> And suddenly there were tapes of it, and people who had grown up watching the first three Star Wars movies on video discovered this thing, and they said, what the? <laughs> how did this happen? <laughs> and, of course, they, they directed their initial ire at George because they couldn't understand how he could betray his own vision, which is how they put it. And yeah we all began getting hate mail <laughs> and the minute which they could find us, friend. they would oh yeah, the minute they would find us, they would start sending us stuff in the mail, they would start emailing and doing all this kind of i mean even before there was actual email when it was just the internet as soon as any as social media occurred, which i mean it wasn 't even social media, it was just email uh we began getting horrified things from from uh Totally betrayed, bereaved people. And what I found ironic was these are people who had never actually seen the Star Wars movie in the theater. They had uh, watched. They'd grown up. Their parents had, but they had grown up watching the whole thing on VHS. <laughs> I mean, not even DVD. VHS. So, is there something
1: that? Um, that you can point to that you know, you contributed to this thing that you can say that you're, you're particularly proud of. And I know I say that with a, a little bit of in, incred, incred, incredulity, but you know, I mean it genuinely. Like, is there, you know, like, is there anything awesome that you look at and go, you know what, this was
2: great. I would love to, I would love to say that I could remember some, one of those things. Um, mm. But I don't, I mean, I, I, suggested B. Arthur. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She was a friend of mine, and I knew that she wanted to sing on television because uh, she was Maud at the time, which was very big. But uh, she had come from Broadway. She had come from uh, the original cast of Fiddler on the Roof, where she was the first yent of the matchmaker, and the original cast of Mame, where she was Vera Charles. And uh, Mm -hmm. she had won Tonys, and she had sung, and she wanted to, to do a number. Nobody would ever let her do a number. So uh, this was how we got her. <laughs> we got her to, to do a number I'm with promising the alien. I the number. Uh, there would be a number in the canteen. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what else. I mean, I probably, I think I came up with uh, Harvey Corman as Julia Child, an alien mm-hmm. Julia Child cooking with eight arms. hmm uh, I think that was mine, but uh, I'm really, you know, I really that I'm, on those things I'm dim because so much came and went. I mean, the, and there were so many, uh, there were so many chefs uh, uh, that I, I honestly can't remember. I'd have to sit down and look at it and say, oh, yeah, that was my joke, which <laughs> have I haven't done in years.
1: Like,
2: yeah. I mean, if somebody paid me enough, I would sit down and look at it <laughs> and I would deconstruct it. I'd parse like, I'd parse like a king. Yeah.
1: Uh, that I think would be, I would pay to watch that actually. (laughs) Maybe for the 50th anniversary. How about that? All right. I'm available. All right. That seems like a a momentous enough occasion to make it happen.
2: A reason to live.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. is there like do you have a sense of a of a moment then you know going the other way where you you realize um this is not going to go the
2: way we hoped it would go <laughs> you know not well we we knew it was we just knew it was something strange and exotic and it was 1977 and we were all chemically altered yeah. i mean we were stoned a lot of the time and and so it, a lot of the stuff seemed reasonable, or if it didn't seem reasonable, we could convince ourselves it was trippy mm-hmm. and that, that the audience was going to get a they were going to go on a trip with us. And it was, some of it was just like, how else do you explain it? I mean, George had come up with this brilliant and, and uh, prescient idea of, of virtual reality. Where he had the uh, the Wookiees wearing helmets, that plugged into their brains, and their fantasy would appear. Mm-hmm. And so each one of them put on a helmet, and one of them, uh, the kid, the little kid Wookiee's fantasy was Cirque du Soleil. It was their first television appearance. And of course now you know there, there are all these experiments with virtual reality where they do exactly that, and uh, and then maybe the next wave of stuff. But that you know that was what George was doing back then. So. That was you know interesting. There was a hologram sequence. Um, those were new. I mean, he'd used them in Star Wars, but uh, having Diane Carroll in a hologram doing a number in Jefferson Starship and, and and it was that that mashup of stuff which nobody had done. And we thought this you know this could be fabulous. This could be something that nobody has done before, or it just could be a gigantic pile. <laughs> and there was no way of knowing, but our, but our default position was it's trippy.
1: <laughs>
2: it's very <laughs> trippy. It's happening. It's like, it's today.
0: <laughs> All right. We're going to pause it right there and we will have the second half of our interview with Bruce Valanche on tomorrow's episode. In the meantime, if you happen to be anywhere near Wilmington, Delaware, then I encourage you to check out the Delaware Theatre Company production of A Sign of the Times, which is a new musical that has a book written by Bruce Valanche, and it may very well be headed to Broadway, so now would be a great time to catch it before it gets there and gets super expensive to check out. It is running through the end of December, so do check out a sign of the times and thank you so much for joining me for this episode i hope you will subscribe to the show to get future updates and i hope you'll consider supporting this daily dose of star wars joy at patreon.com sw7x7 for now though it just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me and may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be
1: this Wars 7 not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2020 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.
3: Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals?